We've all heard it before. It's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hyben, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Hey, everybody. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. To you, the listener, I want you to know that I appreciate you, and I'm thrilled to have you here for another episode. If there's ever anything that I can do to support you, please reach out. That being said, LinkedIn is the channel that you're going to find me most active on. Just search for Lori Hybe. You can simply click the follow button as I post daily information about marketing strategy, tips, all podcast episodes, and any upcoming events I might be attending. If you'd like to connect, make sure to send a note with your connection request that references Social Capital. I can't wait to hear from you. Social Capital Podcast is sponsored by Keystone Click, a strategic digital marketing agency that believes in order to successfully market to your ideal customer, you have to first understand that customer. You can learn more about understanding the customer journey at keystoneclick.com. The topic of relationships ties very closely with marketing. That's why I'm bringing on marketing experts with a variety of backgrounds for you to learn from. Today's guest is Andy Crestadino. He is the co-founder and chief marketing officer of Orbit Media, an award-winning 50-person digital agency in Chicago. Over the past 20 years, Andy has provided digital marketing advice to thousands of businesses. Andy has written 500, over 500 articles on content strategy, search engine optimization, influencer marketing, visitor psychology, and analytics. These articles reach more than 3 million readers each year. He's also the author of Content Chemistry, the Illustrated Handbook for Content Marketing. Andy gives up to 100 webinars and presentations per year and is a frequent repeat speaker at many of the top national marketing conferences. Andy, welcome to the show. Lori, I'm glad to be here. What an intro. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to live up to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, fan, fantastic um, content. I, I, I shared this already, but I'll share it with our listeners. I've heard you speak. I've seen you speak. I've, I've read your content. And um, every single time I learn something new, and you, you have a fantastic way of educating the audience and, and making it make sense. So you take some complex topics and really simplify it. And I appreciate that a ton. Oh, thank you. Trying. <laughs> Doing my best. <laughs> so today we're going to talk a little bit about AI. And I'm so fascinated with this topic. And I know you're speaking at the Marketing AI Conference in Cleveland next week. So I'm excited to hear that. But let's dive in. So how can AI help? people help me connect with humans? That is such a fun question because AI is not human. And mm -hmm. yet so much of our success comes from connecting with real people uh, in the real world. So one of the things that AI is really good at is understanding data. And if you give it a data set, it can analyze that data and crunch through numbers. So recently I've been taking data out of Google Analytics and uploading it into AI to find correlations between topics and, and traffic. So at a high level, just kind of general marketing goals, AI can check that box of connecting with more people by suggesting topics and showing correlations and 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 helping to you know write you know click friendly headlines and separate topics between search and social and tell you what's going to work where. So from the general kind of audience building brand visibility level, AI is a very powerful tool, and. I didn't say using it to create anything. I was just in, in that scenario there, just using it for analysis. 
but it's also very good at identifying potential collaborators. People like you, Laurie, or anyone who's, who's relevant on a topic, if you ask AI or specifically AI through Bing, which has the ability to crawl the web, uh, who are the people who might like this piece of content and then give it the content, it will suggest to you people that you hadn't thought of identifying influencers and subject matter experts that are your future friends. So I think that's another fun way to use it, which is to kind of put it at the top of the process for networking and just see what it comes up with, because there's a lot of people out there that might love exactly what you're making, but you might not know them yet. AI can help. I love that. It's a great way to find new ambassadors, influencers. Yeah. I, I didn't even think about using it for that purpose. So see, I already learned something new from you today. <laughs> it, it works. It's fun. It is. Yeah. So what kind of content really can't be created by an AI? I, I love this because I, I strongly believe that there are AI will reduce the cost of creating lots of content and especially specific types of content, but there are, there are still types of content that really it's not going to be very good at. AI, in my experience, doesn't really have a strong perspective. The technology is really just predicting the next chunk of language in a series. You know, it's, it's not trying to succeed at a goal per se. It's trying to, uh, you know, create a piece of language that sort of satisfies the prompt. So if, if you wanted to create some true thought leadership content or some t make a make a stand, you know, have an opinion, it doesn't really do that. I've never seen AI throw a punch. It just isn't built for that. So if you want to differentiate your content, there are several great opportunities to do that. One of them is simply by creating video content or doing the conversation we're having now. You can't really do this with AI, mm -hmm. but also just, just to plant a flag, come out for something, come out against something, <laughs> say like, I could make some statements that AI will never really make. For example, marketers tend to overbuy technology. <laughs> AI can't write that sentence, yeah. right? It does not really know how to do that, you know, or, well, there's lots of them. They're all kind of triggering topics. I've got sort of a list, but it opens big cans of worm when I start to give examples of like, you know, strong statements and, and strong opinion and op-ed. But that is something where all of us can differentiate just by being a little bit more forthright and direct and sticking our neck out and being and and being a bit more opinionated i think that is will always be a huge way to differentiate content it when you see it you know it it sounds different yeah we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute but i one of the words that you said really stood out to me and that's perspective and i i very much believe that is a differentiator between human content ultimately and an AI content is that all of us are have unique experiences and that's what brings the unique perspective and positioning of the messages being communicated where, as you said, AI doesn't have unique experiences which generate perspective. So it is just gathering what from what it knows, which is the same kind of information that everyone, anyone that's using the tool is Pulling from the same bucket, basically. Yeah, you know, just now, as you were saying that, you reminded me of a scene from a movie. Do you remember Goodwill Hunting? Yes. Remember when the therapist, played by Robin Williams, is sort of intimidated and then sort of becomes depressed once he realizes the genius of of the savant of Matt Damon's character, Goodwill Hunting. Mm -hmm. it, he's upset until he has this realization that wait a minute. This kid may be a genius, but doesn't actually have any real world experience. 
And then he sleeps like a baby. Do you remember that little conversation? It's random. I'm bringing this up, but they were like on a park bench. Anyway, a lot yeah. of people's experience with AI is kind of like that. It's like, yeah. wow, this thing could totally take my job until you say, wait a minute. It actually is very limited. It's not it's not a, a threat to all types of content or any kind of writing. There's things that it really can't do. It does not have a point of view. Mm-hmm. You can push it into having one, but then you're basically adding, you know, telling it to add perspective or giving it more of a perspective. So yeah, that is completely differentiated. It is a big opportunity. One of several we could discuss, but I think that there are, let's keep in mind that, that, that this technology is generating language but does not have a point of view. <laughs> it just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that is, that is the differentiator. So let, let's talk about that a little bit further than the, the differences between true thought leadership and regular content marketing. Well, I reserve the term thought leadership for this kind of rarefied class of content where, uh, and, and this is partly from a, a, a Q and a set. I got to see Seth Godin speak once. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. And and in the Q&A session, I was like the first person to shoot my hand up. And I asked him this question and he got excited before I even finished the question. It's like thought leadership, you know, is that really a thing? And he was just ready to start, you know, share his his ideas. Basically, mm-hmm. what Seth said was uh, thought leadership uh, always creates tension and you can be certain that someone will disagree. It's about taking chances. So if that becomes your criteria for the definition of thought leadership content, like someone has to be able to disagree with it then you reserve that word for content where literally people can follow the idea. It's not purely educational. It is strong point of view. Mm-hmm. It's about drawing a line in the sand. I'm for this, therefore I'm against that. Like things like if you if you write a piece that says like, these are things you should stop doing right away. That's like thought leadership content. Mm-hmm. If you write, you know, how to export your GA4 data into chat GPT to get into like, no, no, that's how to, that's education. Yeah. So thought leadership is what a lot of people sort of just substitute the word content marketing for thought leadership, or some people just kind of say like, oh, our goal is thought leadership. And without ever really defining the term, um, I believe that thought leadership is differentiated content because it is strong perspective and that it is uh, something that AI can't do. So my friend, Chris Carr says, yeah, now because of AI, now we all have to do thought leadership, but for real this time, <laughs> like we weren't doing it before. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that's, I agree with that. It is, it's more about your opinion and taking a stance on a topic. And that's what differentiates you from the how-tos because, you know, the mm-hmm. same how-to article can be written on numerous occasions. And it's just really how you, how you optimize it to see if you're showing up at the top or not. I I had this conversation with a client yesterday where they do home remodeling and he had a really strong opinion on how something should be done specifically. Mm -hmm. And he was really hesitant to share that publicly in, you know, his his social media and his messaging. And I, I turned him the right path. Like this will make you stand out by publicly saying you believe this is the right way and other people are doing it the wrong way. So it is hard for people to feel comfortable doing that sometimes though. It is. That's why it's not a very popular tactic or strategy. And, and I, I, it's not necessary. You can still create differentiated how-to articles uh, and, and we could, you know, list ways to do that, but not everyone has to do thought leadership. Big companies are generally afraid to do thought leadership, creating an advantage for little brands that decide to do it. it, it it's a it's a personal branding bonanza to come out and say like this is 
this is the right way to do something or to answer a question that other people don't want to touch. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's another, that's another path that will get you there. And just being more direct sometimes in your content, just not qualifying every statement, just being more, just approaching things more head on sort of gives people that feeling. But you you just mentioned something really powerful about the, the approach in general, which is social. Mm-hmm. And that's our, <laughs> we're on the podcast, right? So in social media, uh, this is exactly what overperforms compared to other regular stuff. In search, sure, how-to things, it's on demand. People, you know, look and find it, look for it and find it when they need it. But in social media, what what's the thumb stopper that slows the person down? You know, what is the, what are the headline that grabs attention or what's more likely to be, to be read or watched by the senior leader who's looking for perspective? Uh, social media is, uh, when you combine that with thought leadership content, it's just that's basically exactly what works in social. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree with that hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Anyone can do it, right? It's weird that it's, it's not expensive or difficult. It just takes guts. That's really what it is. <laughs> it's just being comfortable with, you know, being saying the uncomfortable thing basically, or, mm-hmm. you know, what may be uncomfortable to you or I mean, it's something you believe in, but may create uncomfort for others. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And, and again, it's optional. You don't have to do it. I don't really do it. It's not my strategy. I'm still focused mostly on the detailed step-by-step how to Mm -hmm. article, but another way. So here's, and I've, I've published things that sound, you know, that, that come close to thought leadership. For example, I wrote a piece recently that said that Google analytics four is just better than the old version of analytics. That's a strong statement. Most Mm -hmm. people disagree like it. Yeah. And I, I believe that, and I'm, I use that as a lead into an article about Google Analytics. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, even if you don't want to, uh, to take a risk yourself or irritate somebody, or you're worried about, you know, maybe you're not in a position to take a stand, influencer marketing and posting interviews and roundups in the format we're doing right now, right, which is like the conversation, you can simply invite people who have strong points of view on a topic that's relevant to your audience. And then mm-hmm. talk to them about their point of view. And that's still, you know, you're not the thought leader in that, but you can still end up with, you know, the content and the headlines and the social stream with strong perspective uh, for yep. your audience. So there's, you know, if you're thinking about a topic that's kind of controversial or where there's lots of different perspectives, maybe do a roundup or or, or organize a little panel of people who sure. have opinions there. That's certainly not difficult or expensive or as risky. Yeah. And then it's your name just sharing the different perspectives as opposed to if you have fear around taking a stance. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good strategy for sure. Yeah. All right. Here's a fun one for you. If you could go back to your 20 year old self, what you, what would you tell yourself to do more of less of or differently with regards to your professional career? Well, my 20 year old self was very unfocused and kind of a bad student with no plans that, that, (laughs) That guy needed a lot of help. <laughs> he had no clue what he was doing. There are, I, I teach a, a, a marketing course to master students in Spain every year. Cool. So I, I sort of regret majoring in Mandarin Chinese because I don't use it. I, I, I wish I'd learned Spanish. That, that would be step one. Two, my 20-year-old self was, was around in 1992. So the best advice would have been, hey, go to Silicon Valley and start building 
you know, search engines with people or something. Like, go <laughs> go sure. register a bunch of domain names. Yeah, <laughs> it was 1992. But no, I think professional advice. I think it it took me a while to realize that the 10x effort gets 100x results. Mm-hmm. So I spent years kind of doing what people do instead of, you know, doing less in content for sure. Right? It's like. I should have published original research much earlier. I should have gone deeper into video much earlier. I should have been publishing long form, detailed how-to analytic stuff much earlier Mm -hmm. or collaborating with influencers much earlier because I've been doing content marketing since 2007, but I never published original research until, you know, 2012 or something like the people who did that earlier ended up with much, much larger audiences, much better relevance and impact. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So that's- Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's great. Great insight for sure. All right. I'm going to give you the opportunity to interview me. What's something you'd like to ask me? Oh, Lori, what is the wrong way to be uh, social online? Oh, (laughs) I think from a business perspective, it's uh, constant selling. 100%, you're not going to have a following. You're going to lose any sort of followers that you did have. But if you're, you're constantly pitching your service or, or product, you're going to lose interest right away. So that's, that's definitely not, it's not sell me media. It's social media. Mm -hmm. That's a perfect summary. How about this follow-up? Is it possible to not sell enough? Yes. I do believe that sometimes brands go really heavy on um, the value add and they don't add the strong call to action to move people through the different stages of the customer journey. I agree. I think some people are, you know, you see them online for year after year, but you never really even know what they do. Yep. So maybe I love that person would love to help them. (laughs) Likewise. (laughs) But you don't know how, because you don't know what they're up to. Yep. Yep. So LinkedIn is your strongest channel, mine too. What what's what's working in LinkedIn today? I really like the polls. Actually, I think I get the most hmm. engagement when there's a poll. But it also is kind of like doing a little mini research, you know. So just gauging, you know, the temperature on a certain topic or what tools and technology are hot at the moment, and that kind of gives me some fuel for future content to create as well. That's a great tip. I never do those. Oh, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. What's the what's the most common problem on people's LinkedIn profiles? They're not telling a story. They have it positioned just like a resume. Hmm. Probably another problem I should look at for myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's one of the funnest things to really, you really want to use LinkedIn to find a way for someone to make it easy to connect with you. So on my bio and it's kind of dug in the middle of the bio. It says that I play hockey and it says that I'm a Batman fan and have quite a collection. And you'd be surprised how many people actually reach out and comment to me on that privately. And that that tells me that they're reading, they're interested, they're curious, but it's it was like a soft opening for them as opposed to the normal pitch to connect. So I appreciate that. And it's huh. fun. This this may be this question may lead to some perspective and opinion. LinkedIn has been a place for professional content forever, but in recent years, there's been more kind of social posts and people's personal, kind of personal life coming through in posts. Mm -hmm. And and there's sometimes a backlash against that. Like that's for Facebook. What what are we doing here on LinkedIn? 
Uh, is it possible to be too personal or overshare non-professional topics on LinkedIn? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question because I've struggled with that myself. I don't have a definite answer because I appreciate the, you're sharing your story, your backstory, and you're kind of giving people a bigger picture view of who you are as a human. But I also believe, you know, that I'm personally on there for my own business, professional development, connectivity, networking And if I wanted to connect with you to see your behind the scenes personal life, then that's where I would connect with you on Facebook. So I'm not the biggest fan of the personal, you know, here's what I'm eating for dinner tonight kind of (laughs) posts on LinkedIn. But I'll admit sometimes I'll throw some of that out there, but I try to tie it to business actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to agree, and I'm going to just go way overboard in restating uh, your point in a way that sounds more triggering and would kind of have like a, a, a sort of a thought leadership impact if it was an article. <laughs> sure. I'm not writing this article. I'm I'm, I'm going to be deliberately provocative for a second. <laughs> not on LinkedIn, you don't. That's the wrong place for a personal post. Be very cautious about oversharing because it's not the correct context. LinkedIn is a professional network. People are doing personal branding professional networking and social media marketing. It's not a general social media platform. Mm-hmm. There's a place and a time for that. It's not here. LinkedIn is more for you at work. And at just like at work, we shouldn't be oversharing a lot of personal details. It's not the purpose of the context. So I, I was just trying to spin that in a way that made it feel like, you know, tying back to that earlier example. Yeah. Like what, yeah. A little bolder. Yeah. Yeah, which uh, is stronger than I believe, actually. I, I, I was tiptoeing a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> no, uh, and I would too. You know, for, from my perspective, I don't believe it that strongly. I I like people and I want to connect with people and I don't mind knowing about someone's, you know, I think it's awesome that you put those those tidbits about your personal self in, in, your, in your profile. And I like, and, and I don't share them, but I, I engage with, with personal posts in LinkedIn because a lot of these people, I really know them. And I'm not on Facebook. Yeah. But if I did want to, to trigger an audience, <laughs> I, I, could, <laughs> I could throw a punch on like ChatGPT. Yeah. <laughs> no, that that's great. Those are fun questions. Thank you for asking them. Any final word or wisdom you want to share with our listeners with regards to leaning into AI a little bit? I think that one thing I've noticed is that, well, two quick perspectives. AI is expectations are extreme. And there are people who try it once and say, that did not blow my mind. It's not good. So if you're experimenting with AI, and that's probably the way to talk about it, set your expectations in a realistic range. So for me, when I use it, I'm looking for a 20% efficiency gain. I don't need it to blow my mind. I just want to get a 20% efficiency gain. So with that in mind, I find it to be an extremely useful tool. But also, you have to learn to use it. It is, Mm -hmm. even though there's no UX really to, figure out it is still something where you know, expect to put in 20 to 40 hours of experimentation and, and and research before you know how to get good value from it and you're going to discover what kind of prompts how subsequent prompts how to save different chats how to give it certain insights and and expect different things and you know how to not give it too much and how to not give it too little there's like a goldilocks range i believe in prompting so that's my advice for ai is to don't have ridiculous sky high expectations for it changing your life in 10 seconds for 20 bucks <laughs> if you're paying for GPT-4 
but also like, let's, let's invest the time as we would with any other tool. Yeah, no, that's, that's sound advice for sure. Andy, if anyone was interested in getting in contact with you, what's the best way they can reach you? LinkedIn would be my top network. Uh, I'm very active there. I publish a newsletter every week on LinkedIn. I gave it a a, a very clever name. It's called Digital Marketing Tips. Mm-hmm. But really, orbitmedia.com is where you can find everything of mine. And we have, over the years, been repackaging our best posts there into a, an actual book. It's a physical printed book called Content Chemistry, the Illustrated Handbook for Content Marketing, which you can get anywhere. It's in its sixth edition. Cool. And that's that's like my entire brain between two covers. Awesome. We will include all that information in our show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Andy. My pleasure. All right. This wraps up our episode of Social Capital. A huge thank you to Andy for taking the time to connect with us. If you have a burning marketing or relationship question, reach out. I'd love to answer it on the show. And as mentioned before, let's connect on LinkedIn. I'm looking forward to hearing from you shortly, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Go out there and get noticed. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.